The Dragon Reread is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know that the original printing press, which was invented in the 15th century by Steve Gutenberg, was created to print out armadillos, which allowed armadillos to become widely available to the laity instead of being the preserve of the Catholic Church? <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> For more armadillo-related facts, to check out our other podcasts and find out how you can access episodes a day early, visit us at patreon.com slash club. Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Mike Sparkman. And today we're talking about chapters 16 through 19 of Crossroads of Twilight, book 10 of The Wheel of Time. Previously, Elaine hosts her first story time for Tots meeting, subtitle High Seats and High Chairs, featuring four of the high seats of Andor. <laughs> They have some quiet coloring time, and then she goes back to, you know, attempting to run a kingdom in turmoil. Her palace admins have a little skullduggery and spycraft report where she learns a bit about what her usurpers are up to uh, when they are interrupted by Elaine's Aiel OBGYN. <laughs> After doing a magic ultrasound, Elaine learns that she's got twins in the works, but every, everything looks good from a baby-making perspective. We ended with a check-in with the baddies. The Andorran usurpers are... Just not having a great time with lots of scheming and threats of sexual assault. Then we cut to Melar, who is tasked by Shein with making trouble for Elaine. We'll see how that goes for him. Uh, he's probably going to die, I imagine. Seems likely. <laughs> Chapter 16, The Subject of Negotiations, Icon of a Bull. So Egwene and Gareth Brine are observing Tarvalon from across the river, where they're besieging it. This is our first time checking in with... Egwene since she first approached the Andorran border and had her little soft coup, right? Like, we haven't heard from her in a long time. Yeah, I think at the end of book eight is when she teleported to the White Tower. But we haven't seen her since then, so this is, yeah, it's been a bit. Yeah, uh, yeah well, it's been a bit of our time, but of her time, it's been like three weeks. Yeah, and she's, at this point, she's just hanging out on the bank thinking about how easy it would be to blast some boats if she wasn't pretending to have sworn the three oaths. Oh, <laughs> I think so it's kind frustrating. Of funny. Yeah, like, right? man, I sure could uh, end this real fast if, uh, oh, if I hadn't, pre if I weren't pretending that I had sworn the three, that no one thinks she's sworn the three oaths. That's the thing. She's not pretending for anyone, but for, for herself. I yeah, guess I mean, it's, it's kind of like a slippery slope though, you know? Yeah. It was the, the way it was explained is that the Aes Sedai never using the power as a weapon allows them to be more influential because people aren't scared of them. Right. Right. Or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the situation is that they're trying to besiege Tarvalon, but turns out Tarvalon has harbors and they don't have any boats because they teleported there instead of, you know, coming along the river. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Gareth Bryan is just, for 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 what he, for his part, he's just trying to convince Egwene to let him wrap this thing up because uh, it's only going to get worse from here. They're, they're watching as Tarvalon brings in soldiers, uh, more and more soldiers and supplies, right? Like that's yeah, what's so Tarvalon's getting stronger, and Egwene is getting her Egwene's army is getting weaker. So because he's like, they're being harried by somebody, probably Gawain. <laughs> probably, he's like, Awkward. just let us get in here. I know. Yeah, and I think, of course, Gareth Bryan is right. Of course, the answer is let's teleport in there and get this battle started. Mm -hmm. I completely Egwene, agree. I 
I think Gareth Bryan is this is what Gareth Bryan's job is, right? Like Egwene hired him because she needs someone to help her break it break the siege or or make the siege work. And that's what he's trying to help her do, right? Yeah, but her reasoning is that that would break the tower if there was an actual like battle here at this siege. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess I get where she's coming from. If once Aes Sedai are fighting in the streets, then your their numbers start to drop pretty rapidly, I suppose. Yeah, yeah it feels real arbitrary to me. Yeah. Well, she, and, and then she has this whole thing. She's like, I'm afraid of making the wrong decision. But she, basically, she's going to watch her options dissolve away if she, you know, waits longer. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just going to get worse and worse. Uh, so she can't use her the one power as a weapon to, like, fry those ships. But could she just blow them off course with wind? Is that using the one power as a weapon? I don't think so. Because she specifically says it's not sinking the boats. It's the fact that sinking the boats would kill the people in the boats that makes it a problem. Mm-hmm. Like she could sink the boats if, if they weren't if there weren't people in them. Because somebody learned wind magic. Was it her? No, it was it was uh, it was Elaine. Oh yeah, and Elaine is busy making babies. Right, exactly. Dragon because I mean, babies. they could they because they could use the power to like just suck the boats in towards shore and just take them right. Yeah, I think so. I think they could. But uh, th- that does not come up. They don't have to use wind magic. They could use the water, right? Like they could just have the, or, or even force, just like push them, you know? Or they could, yeah, they could, they could like send out their own boats and use the magic to like zoom out there and, and get them. Yeah. I, I, I can see a lot of ways to like corner your way around this without actually hurting anyone with, mag- with, uh, with the magic. So Yeah, it, it sure feels like Egwene is putting off this battle. I think Gareth Bryan would agree with you. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of recap of where, where we've been in this chapter. Yeah, uh, she she actually recaps the whole thing how, about how she gained power with the Aes Sedai and all those Aes Sedai who swore fealty to her. Like, she thinks about that whole thing. I was like, yeah, we, we kind of remember there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, on her way back to camp, she meets with Delana, who, as yeah. we know, is a black Aja. Yeah, just uh, our black Aja in the little tower pops over for a private chat. And she is definitely yeah. up to no good. She's like the sitter for the Black Aja. Yeah, she is right. <laughs> she, she, we, we learned that she's been trying to. We, we learned that she's been trying to get them to declare Elida Black Aja, which would really fuck shit up for everyone. I think absolutely, yeah. Um, and she informs Egwene that there's some factions that are trying to start up negotiations with Elida, which is not the worst idea, I think. I mean, I, I get where they're coming from. Like, the, the concern here is that if they open negotiations with Elida, she's going to ask to still half of them, right? Like, all the all the Blue Aja and all of the people who are currently sitters who are, you know, the people making decisions are probably all uh, on, the, on the cutting board, so to speak. So I can understand why they might not be a fan of that idea. Yeah, but if you offer some reasonable terms and Elida doesn't take them, uh, then the people in the tower might overthrow Elida, right? It, there's nothing, it feels like there's nothing to lose from just doing the negotiations. And maybe Elida would be like, you know, it, Egwene goes into exile. That's what, that's my term. In which case, this would probably be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, this this whole conversation was a little confusing to me because Delana is essentially giving her some warnings about her counsel being used to manipulate her. And she's like, yeah, obviously, right? Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't get what it. It seems like Egwene is drawing some conclusion from this that I am missing. You know, like oh, this this indicates something about the factions. But to me, this all seems really obvious. I don't know. I, I think she thinks that it's 
that these people are in danger of capitulating to Elida if they want to negotiate at all. Which I, um, I think is probably true, right? Yeah. And Egwene's little council that she's got with her is all super duper against it because they're like, she'll kill us all. Yeah. And they're probably right. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So Elaine decides to offer exactly one condition. Elida resigns and goes into exile. Which I, I, I mean, that's, uh, that's like in terms of negotiation tactics, that's like drop your massive balls on the table technique, right? <laughs> like yeah. my negotiation is fuck you. <laughs> and, and she doesn't, she doesn't think this, but what I was thinking is like, this message is not for Elida. This message is for everybody else in the tower mm-hmm. yeah. who doesn't, who nobody likes Elida anyway. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. So, so that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. I thought this was more just a way to like say, oh, we're open to negotiations, but give you terms that you're never going to uh, accept. But you're totally right. It makes way more sense if she's like, it's trying to foment rebellion within the, a second rebellion within the White Tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Elida, my conditions are one, fuck off and two, die. <laughs> <laughs> Let's <Yeah>. talk. <laughs> that's my, my opening offer. Yeah, uh, the first one's negotiable. The second one is not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we also, and this is not, not, not really that big a thing, but we do learn that Rand's whole cleansing thing happened recently, and they actually sent scouts out to go check it out. We haven't heard anything else about that at this point, but we oh, learned that, that. Did we learn that in this chapter? Because I, I guess I just skipped it, <laughs> skimmed over. Yeah, that. yeah. She, she, she mentions thinking, oh, when this happened, we sent some people out there and then she doesn't say anything else about it at that point. Right. Yeah. I'll be honest. I skimmed a lot of this. Yeah. This, this, uh, this chapter in terms of Robert Jordan chapters is rather long. And for all of that, not a lot actually happens. There's a lot of thinking and, and a little bit of conversation, but not a lot of conversation. You know mm-hmm. what this reminded me of? This reminded me of the Battle of Hogwarts of Harry Potter when mm-hmm. um, Voldemort is like, hey, I'll stop attacking if you'll just give me Harry Potter. And all the people inside of the castle were like, fuck no, you can't, except for the Slytherins who are like, hell yeah, take them. In this case, <laughs> Egwene to me is totally uh, Voldemort. She's yeah, like, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I'll let totally you live. Right. Yeah, just give me a lighter. <laughs> but I, I suspect that Elida has not uh, earned as much goodwill as Harry Potter. So, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> True. So, chapter seventeen: Secrets, icon of the Dark Friend Birds, uh, the Ravens. <laughs> no, I like Dark Friend Birds. <laughs> dark Friend Birds. Uh, I so so Egwene didn't fall entirely for Delana's bullshit. She's like, "Come on, guys, there's something going on here. We don't know what Delana's about, but she's definitely up to something." So I, yeah, I like, I appreciated that. Because that was all I could think. Delana's like, motives, yeah, yeah. They don't know exactly what her motives are, but they're like, yeah, she, she's clearly trying to do something that we don't want, you know, right? Mm-hmm. But at least they're aware that she's up to something, even if they have no idea what it is. Yeah, um, the negotiations seem like they might be a delaying tactic at best. Yeah, um, which is not a good idea when your opponent is getting stronger as you are weakening. But yeah, yeah. it's interesting because like we we talked about this idea of sieges. Uh, in the previous episode with in the context of Elaine, because she's got teleportation, right? Uh, so sieges in general kind of suck, but, but this teleportation technology really changes the game, both no matter which party has it. Right. So in the case of Elaine's situation, it allows her to bring supplies in. So it's impossible for her, the people outside to choke her out. Right. Yeah. Uh, in Egwene's situation, they can teleport soldiers in literally at any moment. They could they could teleport soldiers into the White Tower if they decide to. It just hasn't gotten to that point yet. So it's kind of interesting thinking about how 
this fact that the siege is going on is tenuous in its own way just for that the fact of that yeah the, the siege is is really hard you know they're all they're all in a kind of a hard scrabble camp and they're doing without because of deprivation apparently their preservation spells they use to preserve their food aren't working yeah which i assume means that delana or or maybe the uh what's her name delana's keeper uh oh, halima shoot. halima yeah is is messing with her it's stuff sabotaging it, right yeah that would be yeah, my that, guess that could be it yeah i i didn't i didn't think of that yeah i do think um, it's interesting that they have keeping at all that's something we have never heard of before this moment that i can remember but it's basically like isodai stasis weave yeah this, this is a huge deal in terms of like uh, old school army warfare like pre-modern warfare because food supply is like the most important thing mm-hmm. um and the food doesn't food goes bad so like being able to have the uh, ready supply of new unbad food is like the, the key element in, in almost every major war and so they just solve that problem right this is another problem that they just solved except they don't because it doesn't work <laughs> right normally it, it, which is interesting because they still have things like salt beef and smoked fish is what they're you know stasising but mm-hmm. i mean why not stasis like you know something good yeah <laughs> something that's actually good well, to eat that stasis fresh bread yeah yeah exactly so would you consider preserving food for the purpose of feeding an army to be using the one power as a weapon <laughs> that's a good question i wouldn't but you know with Egwene's kind of circuitous logic about the sinking the boats maybe i, yeah, I mean, well yeah clearly is, tele- just... is, te- is teleporting soldiers into the white tower using the one power as a weapon oh wow that's a good question it seems Apparently like you not. Get really close to using it as a weapon yeah as long as you know you're just you're not the agent that kills them you're the agent that helps them to be killed i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah they they have lots and lots of novices. They got like a thousand of them. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So they, they it's like a huge number of student, students. Uh, I I know that uh, Egwene opened up the novice book as as like one of her first acts in that they eliminated the age limit. But is that enough to account for this crazy number of novices? Because it, it's like a thousand. That's that's yeah, wild. I, I that's think more what we're away is in the that, world, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I I think that we they just have been missing a whole lot because they're so cloistered. Oh, you know? and now they're actually riding through the countryside with an army of Aes Sedai. Yeah, and they, and they didn't even realize. That's why there's all the, there's the kin, there's the sea folk, there's the wise ones, there's all these other channelers that they had no idea about. So they just had the the wrong idea of how many channelers there were altogether. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, they also do something interesting. That's uh, the idea of uh, Sharina, one of their new novices. Uh, to gather them into these little family units, which I thought was kind of an interesting strategy yeah. for managing yeah. this huge number. Sharina is forsaken as hell. <laughs> you think so? I was wondering Absolutely. about that. We, we've we seen Sharina before, uh, briefly. Um, yeah, she in, came from Saladar, I think. Yeah. I mean, not originally, but she was one of the people that joined as a novice in Saladar. There's also... Uh, so there was a Sharina in Nynaeve's... Um, What's it? Her her oh, three right. rings test. And yeah. there's some speculation that it could be the same Sharina just from a different uh, dimension or timeline or whatever. You know, Sure, I'm yeah. Sure. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah, speaking of Sharina, Egwene stops in on her little factory <laughs> where she has a bunch of people making Kuindilar. Yeah. That's handy. That's very kind of cool. Brilliant, right? Like if you need to 
if you need to raise some money, just start up an Isodai sweatshop turning out trinkets for sweet, sweet cash, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they hadn't thought of this before because they could always, you know, they always had stuff they could sell, right? Well, they, they couldn't make Quindalar before. That's a new thing, right? Yeah, they couldn't make Quindalar, but they could sell, you know, cures for cancer. <laughs> That's true. They could literally see, sell healing, I suppose. Though I suppose the, also that the Aes Sedai uh, are a little prideful and touchy about that kind of thing. Just the idea that they're selling this Quindalar is definitely giving some of the some of the Aes Sedai uh, uncomfortable yeah. feeling. And they're they're making cups apparently out of it. Yeah, to sell cups and rings is, and bracelets. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty neat. That's a good idea. They're 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 going to make a lot of money that way, which will fund their army. Yeah, that's it's. I think it's brilliant. Uh, and apparently, and, this is something that Egwene figured out how to do on her own. Yeah, way to go, Egwene. I think and it's funny because this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was gonna say Nicola and Ariana are in there, so they're still around and still being super sketch. Yeah, I forgot about those two, and it sounds like Nicola's ambition is kind of outpacing her a little bit. Uh, she's got like a she's got a real Voldemort vibe going here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and and Sharina is in there too, who seems to have just an amazing force of will. And uh, all the Aes are kind of scared of her, even though she's just a novice. Well, she's a novice, but she's also a grandmother. She's like, you know, elderly with, you know, who's who's was the matriarch of her family, apparently, before she joined them. So she's got like a she's got like a commanding nature because of that. And she's also stronger than any Aes Sedai that is alive, sure. including Nynaeve. That's probably a big part of it. But uh, I mean, I guess we don't even know how old Sharina is because... Well, she wasn't channeling, so she wouldn't have gotten the age lengthening. Yeah. So that, I th- I that's think usually she's... the thing is that even if she's, you know, 80-year-old grandma, these Aes Jedi she's dealing with are 200 years old. That's true. But she's also, like, used to commanding people as as her role of being the matriarch of a family. Yeah. And as we know, with Aes Jedi hierarchy, the, the biggest dick always wins, right? <clears throat> yeah, that's true. The biggest magic dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Egwene has an ulterior motive for teaching all these people to turn iron into Quindalar, but we don't know what it is. Of course yeah. we don't. She has a plan. <laughs> yeah, this this whole chapter was, uh, I thought it was funny because, you know, we, we've talked before about Jordan's uh, writing through camp chapters. And this chapter started with Egwene writing to camp for like a change of pace and then mm-hmm. it transfers into a writing around camp. Uh, chapter. Right. So, so it doesn't get too wacky on us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want to veer back into familiar territory. But she does do this like incognito thing so she can uh, not be bothered while she's thinking around or writing around camp and thinking. But there is kind of an interesting thing that occurs to her and that's essentially that her key advantage, something we just talked about, was this teleportation thing. And she's concerned about the idea of this technology leaking to the enemy which is valid like it takes one essentially one sister who knows how to do the weave going back to the white tower and then her biggest advantage is blown right yeah it's an interesting idea about this like technology and espionage in a fantasy novel but it's it's kind of a valid concern here right yeah it's a good reason not to travel within sight of the tower yeah for Mm -hmm. sure and and to to be very concerned if the if it appears that her followers are losing faith or getting wishy-washy because just takes True. one right yeah i wouldn't trust any Aes Sedai at this point like literally none of them <laughs> uh let's see is there one i would trust at this point 
Not Anaya. She's sketchy. Sherryum's definitely a dark friend. Um, Swan and Leanne. Yeah, Swan and Leanne, and then of course all the ones you brought from <clears throat> Emmons Field and all the kinswomen. Kinswomen. Nah, there gotta and be some dark it. friends in there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, if you're talking about from Egwene's perspective, she can trust them, but she can't confide in them. I would say Swan and Leanne are the only ones who she can trust and confide in, probably. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Elaine and Nynaeve, if you count them as Aes Sedai. Yeah, I, that's true. I, I would, I would, I would say Nynaeve is technically an Aes Sedai by all the criteria that you know they're. Nah, she that, hasn't gone through the arches, or no, she went through the arches. She hasn't. There's oh no, thing, you're right. right. She, she's an accepted. She hasn't but not sworn a, the three oaths yet. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Right. So chapter eighteen, a chat with Swan. Icon of the four snaken. Yeah. So, yeah Gee, I in, wonder why. Yeah. Back in Egwene's tent, Swan and Halima are hanging out and they really don't like each other. And it is getting ludicrous that nobody suspects Halima of oh malfeasance. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I, to the point that I, I, I can only surmise that Halima is like manipulating Egwene's mind somehow because she is like Egwene even thinks to herself oh it's really weird that she's like this oh well it's probably just because Delana really likes her or something you know it's, it's like yeah, this doesn't it's, make it's, sense it's, right it's weird that she's Delana's secretary because she can barely write mm-hmm. <laughs> and like people treat her bad because she's so sexy but she can't help the way she looks man she sure wearing, is wearing a low cut top oh yeah you know uh, we people always overhear uh Halima screaming at Delana, which is kind of a weird way for someone to behave to their employer, but I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. like, this is, this is, this is and there's, really and I could I could actually forgive most of that, except there's this moment in there where Halima is like, shouldn't I stay here and hear all of your secrets? And Egwene's like, no, 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 you gotta go. Well, what about those headaches? And then the headaches <laughs> start at exactly that moment. Yes. <laughs> I know. She's like, wouldn't you like me to treat your headaches? And Egwene's like, what head? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's funny because like if we hadn't been explicitly told that this person is a forsaken then i would think maybe this wasn't so obvious right maybe like robert jordan is just is just being pretty obvious but we know this for a fact that she's a forsaken and he's still being this ridiculously obvious about it Mm. yeah i don't know yeah it's it's uh it's it's interesting uh and i'm not sure how they're gonna deal with halima in you know in truth um but (laughs) they need to do something about this business yeah. I, so yeah, I, I I wonder if Halima, in addition to obviously causing these headaches, is doing something manip- not not compulsion exactly, but something like that, you know? Yeah. It, well, if she could do compulsion, then it she would probably just do compulsion instead of this weird give her headaches to make her trust you so you can sleep in her tent thing. Yeah. Or or you think maybe she got very specific orders from Moradin? Who knows? Yeah. Give her headaches and spoil their food. <laughs> you can you can fuck with them, but only in like. Minor annoying ways. <laughs> Just yeah. make their lives really uncomfortable. Those but, are your uh, orders. Egwene does tell Halima to piss off anyway. and just deals with the headache for the rest of these two chapters. Yeah. So she gets a bunch of news from Swan. Uh, Swan has realized that the White Tower has strangely young sitters also. We don't know what this is about, right? Like this, this unless no. it's some sort of Black Aja forsaken maneuvering... I don't know what this what this could be. I'm I'm confused by this. We don't know yeah. why this is. Mm-mm. I don't uh, know either. Unless maybe there's some kind of I don't know super white tower council where there's a bunch of old Aes Sedai who are 
still in contact with each other from the rebels to the white tower. And they've arranged this whole thing as some sort of giant scheme. Right. But who would do that? It seems like if they would do that, then they would also be doing, then they would be sitters or they would be manipulating the sitters and the decisions coming out of the sitters would, of the hall would be different. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, does not seem to add up at all. Yeah. But then there's a lot of other news, mostly unclear rumors that don't tell us much. Yeah, the, they talk about Egwene's plan for softballing the Seafolk deal to the sisters, uh, I, which I think is not going to go over very well. Yeah, <laughs> this is pretty, yeah, pretty tough. And Egwene and Egwene's plan to have the Aes Sedai retire into the kin uh, so they could be released from the oaths and not and die from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's that seems pretty reasonable to me. I mean, in fact, who? What is there to lose, honestly? Like, you don't have the three oaths anymore, and you get to live a lot longer. Sounds like win-win to me. The only downside is you're not allowed to call yourself an ice eye, but who the fuck cares, right? I don't know. Right, the yeah. The like, thing, I guess. doesn't seem like that's going to make much difference to anybody. And besides, they can lie and say they are ice eye at that point. So there you go. <laughs> that's a yeah, good they point. can. <laughs> Uh, also, oh, I wanted to point this out. Swan is pretty sure that uh, Cat Swain is a dark friend, so she's with you on that one, Jeff. Absolutely. Yeah, Swan's sharp. She's yeah. got eyes like augers. Like a like silverfish's fish. blue teeth. Yeah. <laughs> eyes like the fish, the teeth of a lionfish. Isn't Egwene <laughs> yeah. like, you gotta tell me, you gotta show me what one of them's is sometime. She has no idea what she's fucking talking about. Right. Egwene's, has Egwene ever seen the ocean? Yeah, I guess she has. She's been to, uh, to, was it Ibudar or wherever, like Falm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still. Uh, let's see. There's um they, the Aes Sedai are concerned with the Borderlander army, um, uh, and what's interesting is that the Borderlander army army is ruined, rumored to have like fifty or so Aes Sedai with it, but nobody knows who they are. Yeah, we we know the answer to this, right? Like there are Aes Sedai with them, but it's more like a dozen, and it's just the ones who were sent there as advisors, right? Or am I yeah, but but they would know who those. Well, yeah, I guess that's it. I was thinking they would know who those were because they know who were sent as advisors, but maybe they don't know that these Borderlander army is all the the rulers. Yeah. And there's an ongoing siege in Tyr, which, you know, we really don't care about at all. Yeah. Is there anyone we care about in Tyr at all right now? High Lord Darlin and Caroline Damodred. Yeah, they're pretty cool, I guess. We like them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're, they're cool. (laughs) <laughs> darlin <laughs> darlin <laughs> uh yeah but, so, I, so but I, I assume that that'll that'll work itself out yeah they've got you know they've got aiel there or something right don't they have some aiel i don't know it's probably fine yeah uh things are becoming normalized in shanshan territory so everybody's realizing that you know meet the new boss same as the old boss yeah as long as which you're is, not a woman to can channel which is a problem uh and i think that they i believe they say something like we recognize that this is a problem because essentially like that's the Shanshan winning a culture war, right? Mm-hmm. And let's see. Oh, also, yeah, there's there's news about the Aes Sedai who are working for Rand, which everybody finds very disturbing and seems to assume that's because Rand is using compulsion on them. Which is, that seems like a pretty, pretty big jump to me. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. And Egwene, even Egwene thinks that. She's like, oh, that's pretty dark, but you know. Maybe, maybe that's the only explanation for why somebody would work for Rand. Yeah, it's certainly not because he's Tavarin and, you know, 
that. Right, or oh, that he's the dragon reborn, right? Right. <laughs> Probably not that. She even knows somebody who worked for Rand. Moraine was working for Rand. Uh, yeah. That's a great yeah. point. Uh, I wonder what ever happened to Moraine. Uh, she melted. Portal she's in puddle. Yeah, she's yeah, portal goo. goo. She's yeah. a puddle of portal goo. A portal puddle, a puddle of portal goo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's it's the arrogance of the Aes Sedai. They think everybody works for them all the time. And it would never cross their minds that it would be a good idea for Aes Sedai to let somebody else call a shot now and then. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's that's all. And I think that comes into play uh, repeatedly throughout these chapters. In, in the next uh, section, there's something similar that I think bears the same explanation. Yeah. So then they get news that uh, Akarin has returned and the hall is meeting. And Akarin is the person that they sent, one of the people they sent to go investigate the beacon. Right. The tank cleaner site. I'm sure I'm glad we get to talk about the beacon again. Yeah, because, you know, I feel like we haven't talked about it enough, this book. Yeah. Chapter 19, Surprises, Icon of the Tar Valon Flame. So after some discussion of the uh, fractious impulses among the uh, Little Tower, Egwene goes to meet with the Hall. Yeah, it's it's funny because they're talking about all this stuff like, oh, they're, they're all doomsaying. And all I could think was the the news that they're going to get is very good news. But how are they going to take it, right? Like, like the fact that uh, the male half the the one power is cleansed and is is no longer a problem is very good news for the world. But I don't think I said I are going to be very happy about it. Yeah, I I think it means change for them, and they just hate change. And and it it also detract it removes one of their biggest sources of power is like having this like. Well, in their yeah. minds, their their perception is that they have a, a, a complete control over the use of channeling, right? And we're learning yeah. that that's not the case because the wise ones and the the windfinders, right? So we know that that's not necessarily true, but their belief that they had absolute control over this like divine power gave them a lot of pull, which they won't have anymore. It's true, but I mean, they, they know their history. They know that Aes Sedai used to be men and women, even though that was a super duper long time ago, but there's no reason why they couldn't do that i think that would be the right call i just don't i just don't know that they would embrace it so rapidly to, to be honest i'm getting a little frustrated with the books because i think that the cleansing of the the taint on Sidon is like a huge momentous event it was really cool when it happened the books have been building up to it for like years and years but we still haven't seen the effects of it yet yeah mm-hmm. that's very annoying like I, it, i've been waiting for some ashaman to be like holy crap the taint's gone Everybody, the taint's gone. Hooray. But we haven't gotten that at all. Mm-hmm. Like the one time we, they, it was like Perrin was hanging out with some Ashaman. I forget who it was. Somebody was hanging out with some Ashaman actually after the thing happened. And that guy was asleep. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I think that although that's not exactly what people have said, that's the problem with this book, right? Is that we, in the previous book, we had this really awesome climax and now we have to wait a whole book to get the payoff for it, you know? Yeah, I can see how this stuff fits with what happened in the previous books, but this stuff, there's not enough meat here for a whole book. Mm-mm. Yeah, well, it's just talking. That's, that's that's the problem with this book is that this is the the less exciting chapters from the previous book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is Winter's Heart Part Two. We'll see. I mean, we should after we finish this, we should we should decide, like we should vote and see if we if you can just skip this book and actually miss anything. That's good. All right. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. 
anyway, uh, whinging over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, the uh, delegation is presenting their findings to the hall. Oh, by the way, before that happens, though, Sherryam shows up acting super sketchy, right? Like, so there's yeah. this whole thing where Egwene's like, I can't enter until I'm declared by the uh, the Keeper of the Chronicles. That's like Tower Law. Sure, that's fine. And she's like, no one can find Sherryam. I sent Swan to find her. Nobody knows where she is. She's like getting impatient. And then Sherryam runs up and is like, oh, what's going on? I heard that there was something going on. And it's like, where was she? What was yeah. she up to? Not a place that Swan could have found her. Yeah, her whole her whole behavior throughout this entire chapter is uber sketch, Mm -hmm. right? Uh Like this, I I, she's got to be a dark friend, right? Because she she's acting like she's going to be tortured. She's acting real weird. Uh, Yeah, she's acting like dark friends do because they're all terrified of of not getting their job done. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, There's also this like thing that happens before they begin the the whole thing. There's like a seating drama. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I was like, what the, uh, so, okay. First of all, I said, I could turn anything into a statement, right? Like there's politics into where they're seating, but there's like a whole thing where one of the Aja's decides instead of sitting next to the next Aja in, they sit across. I was like, what is going on I, here? I think that's because of, because of what happens at the end of this chapter where like a totally different group of people springs like a totally different proposal from the one Egwene was worried about. And I think they okay. were just sitting in because the, they said that like the first person that goes in and sits there determines where their Aja sits. So the first person that went in there was sitting in a weird place because she wanted to be solid with the other people that she's scheming with. Okay. okay. I yeah. think. Also, uh, there's like a, I would say a tidal wave of names on like two pages here, like 40 oh, Aes yeah. that I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to know who they are, but I... Spoilers, I don't know who they are. I, I think about half of these have been mentioned before, if if my memory is any guide. Yeah, so there's a presentation. Also through the, out this last chapter in this one, Egwene has this pounding headache, and she keeps thinking about it, because of course, when you have a headache like that, you can't think of much else. Yeah. And I found it just so unpleasant to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because you can kind of you can kind of imagine that feeling. Like, yeah. This is just a very this is just a real bad time. Anyway, so once everyone gets settled, and then then they get their report. Yeah, and so this this is the team that was sent to investigate the beacon. Uh, they went to where it is. It turns out it's where Shatter Logoth was, and now Shatter Logoth is just a giant hemispherical uh, crater. Yeah, yeah, I was like actually three miles su- round or something. It's huge. Yeah, yeah the size of a city. Uh, I was actually super disappointed by this report, by the way, because I was like, <laughs> yeah. they didn't learn anything useful. <laughs> They're like, yeah, okay. Was- so there's Sidon and Sidar, a lot of it, and Shadow Logoth is gone. Those are the only things they walked away from. And they inferred a whole lot of wrong they, stuff. They jumped to a lot of conclusions. They were like, well, it must be the Forsaken. Because nobody here knows any powerful male channelers at all. I, right? Like, like it's definitely the Forsaken and not the Dragon Reborn. Okay, come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. At I, that I place, Shadow Logoth, the, the Dragon Reborn is notably obsessed with. <laughs> that's right he keeps going there he's he just like every time they're like hey where do you guys want to get lunch today he's like oh, shadow logoth I just really like <laughs> dude shadow logoth again all right fine they have pretty good tacos i guess I <laughs> right yeah uh, it's, it's okay to go there for lunch you don't want to go there for dinner when it's getting dark <laughs> that's right the tentacles man it's just about the tentacles <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so this uh this causes general disgruntlement yeah i do think and- it, Oh, sorry, go ahead. And then because they assume that this must be the Forsaken, 
just blowing up Shadar Logoth for some reason <laughs> that uh, that they can't deal with this level of power, which they can't. So Moria, who I think is a new person, proposes allying with the Black Tower to be able to fight this power. I did not appreciate their uh, their leaping to conclusions, but I am very happy about this idea. I was like, <laughs> yes, that's a great idea. Like, I don't care why if you came about this the wrong way. This is a this is a good thing, right? Yeah, I thought that. The, the response, the uproar in response to the suggestion was actually pretty funny. Where like, Oh, <laughs> I agree. Like, like, everybody's like, oh, no, it can't happen. Hurumph, hurumph, hurumph. It's like the, you know, the, the House of the Commons or whatever. In, in <laughs> yeah, that's and exactly like, what I was picturing. Like one person like, like crosses down the aisle with her fist ball. Like she's going to punch the <laughs> proposer in the face. Yeah, there was like sister fist fights. There was the, like some Aes Sedai jimmies were rustled. It was, uh, it, it got real yeah. wild. <laughs> I, I assume they flipped over a table and a bunch of papers flew up in the air. <laughs> and Sherry, by the way, as we were talking about how her sketchy behavior throughout this, she has a hundred percent lost her chill. She's like crying, <laughs> just, just weeping openly. It's like, okay, yeah. okay, guys. Um, so Egwene's like, let them simmer for a minute. And then she busts out her magic megaphone to shut them up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So she sits them down and she runs through the process, like everyone for everyone against. They give a bunch of speeches and the measure passes pretty conclusively. Okay. And uh, it got both Romanda and Lelaine on board. Yeah, they agreed on something really for rare. maybe the first time ever. <laughs> yeah. I I have to say that for for what it's worth, although these chapters were mostly uneventful, the closing here was pretty satisfying. Like, I, I, I very much enjoyed this, like, like you were describing this, like, Oh, the sisters are up in arms about this crazy idea. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Like it was I, for me, that was fun to read. I and and also, I'm I'm excited about this idea of the White Tower and the Black Tower alliance because you know for yeah. me that's all about like this is this is good thing for the world, right? I I totally think it's a good thing, except the person they're going to be allying with is tame. Oh yeah, that's a good yeah. point. The Black and, Tower and that, is not a good place right now. That, yeah, that guy is Sketch City. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay, so if Loghain can take control of the Black Tower somehow, uh, then it'd be a good thing. But oh, right now, that would be like delicious irony since they they gentled him once him in the first place. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. Oh man, that's so good. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, we got an email from Perry who wanted to know. If you could choose, which period of the Wheel of Time history would you like to see made into its own show? Uh, because they're talking about prequel series for popular fantasy shows like Game of Thrones that are coming out. Ah. They, and the suggestions are The War of Power in the Age of Legends, The Trolloc Wars, Arthur Hawkwing's Conquest and the Following Hundred Years War, or The Shanchen Consolidation. Oh, I think those are all good. I mean, obviously, like, I like the idea of the Age of Legends because there's this weird, like, fantasy sci-fi, like, mishmash, you know? It's obviously magic, but they also have, like, flying cars and, like, uh, what, like thunder sticks that are basically, like, laser guns. You know, like, they have, like, very fun sci-fi magic blendy stuff. So I think in terms of, like, aesthetics and, like, I think that'd be a fun thing to see on screen. So I think I would enjoy that. Yeah, I was thinking... Before you even listed the options, I was thinking Hawkwing's Wars. But uh, but actually, I would think I would go with the Trolloc Wars because they had Dreadlords and, oh, you know, like right. Trollocs by the hundreds of thousands and all sorts of dark spawn blackening the skies. That's cool stuff. And the, the Trolloc Wars were 
it's it's interesting because it they're kind of a weird in between place. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it was it was I I wasn't it. I thought it was like if, I thought it was like a thousand years ago or something, but maybe not. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so the Aiel War was like twenty years ago, right? Right. Yes, that's okay. Right. The Trolloc War I thought it was it was like a hundred years ago. No, it was, was longer, it longer than that. Ago cause, than cause, that? Because remember, the Trolloc Wars is when uh, Manetherin was destroyed. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That's another vote in favor of the Trolloc Wars, because you got the cool Manetherin. The, yeah, I the was Red th- Eagle of Manetherin falls for the last time when its allies do not come. Mm-hmm. That's like that when when you like the Trolloc Wars to me is, is really fun because it's a weird in-between place. Because, you know, we had the Age of Legends when magic technology was at its height, and then uh, the breaking of the world happened, but the breaking of the world didn't destroy the power of Aes Sedai fully. The Trolloc Wars did because they, we remember from the, like the stories that Manetherin was like a, was a magical city, right? Like obviously it was only half the, uh, the channeling at that point because men couldn't channel even then, but everyone, it, it like, didn't they say like the queen of Manetherin was like a, a super powerful Aes Sedai and That's destroyed right, Manetherin yeah. in, in grief. So it was like, this inter- interesting in-between place, like post-breaking of the world, but while there was still some remnants of that that power, I thought I think that's kind of a cool cool setting too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alice, what do you think? What what uh, of those periods or of any of the periods? What do you think you'd like to see? Oh, I mean, no question for me, the War of Power and the Age of Legends for sure. Like you said, it has those sci-fi elements. I would love to see what it looks like because I love. These, they're not Easter eggs, but these points that we get in the novels when they come across an artifact from the Age of Legends. And it's always fascinating. And it's always like frustrating to not know what exactly it was for. So I would love to see a time when all that stuff was being made. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like it, you, I would say one of my favorite, I would, you know, maybe some of my favorite chapters are Forsaken chapters for that reason, because they have, they have the only knowledge surviving of the age of legends and just uh, the forsaken perspective is interesting because they talk about like these these weird mysterious objects like the the stasis boxes and like the what is it the um oh what are they called the worms do you know what i'm talking about there's oh the big worms and the blight yeah so there's the big worms and the blight and then they said there's something else that, that they that's worse that they turn into and they're they were concerned about finding one in a stasis box there was something like that yeah i don't oh, know yeah right they were like the Forsaken were like, man, those worms are huge. This they they never turned into the really scary thing. They just let it grow forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah. So so they had these fun like references. So yeah, I think I think the 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 Age of Legends leading up to the the destruction of the breaking of the world. Really, I would say mm-hmm. all the events yeah. leading up to the breaking of the world would be really interesting. Yeah, cool. Do we? How long did the breaking of the world take? Do we know that? I know that it happened thousands of years ago, and we I, have like I think a rough that they don't that. know, you know, because because the world was breaking, so they, they didn't have good timekeeping. Yeah, because I know that we we know like the the bullet points, but I don't know like what how long it was between. Uh, oh shoot, man! And, I and who knows? It could have like it could have changed the planet's orbit, right? It could have changed the length of the day, the length of the year. It could have been True, that that's powerful. A good point. That's a good point. So it might not even be useful to try and reference it in terms of like years and such. But yeah, I, I know that I know that the breaking of the world took some time. It didn't happen rapidly because all of the men had to descend into madness. And I remember they talked about a lot of stuff leading up to that, like men going into the the steading to try and like stem the madness, but they always like they, they couldn't they couldn't 
outlast it because yeah. that sweet, sweet side in they wanted to get. Him, you know. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe I'll break the world a little bit, just a little bit, <laughs> just, a, just like just a taste. Just come on, man, just a taste. <laughs> so yeah, uh, cool. Uh, that was a good question, and uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's possibility of that depending on whether Amazon does a good job with making that that series. Which I mean, I'm I'm really rooting for it. You know, I uh, yeah, I really hope so. So that's it for this episode. Next time, we're going to cover chapters 20 through 24 of Crossroads of Twilight. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. That's at Alice M. Sullivan on Twitter and Blue Bonnet Cafe on Instagram. I'm Michael Sparkman, and I still don't have one of those. <laughs> if you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at thedragonreread.com. We love hearing from you. And we might answer you on air. Please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews wherever you got this. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash club, where you can see our other podcasts. Please like us in real life. We're just so likable. Until next time. The, the lights, lights illumine, illumine you. you.